Alive! It's alive! It's alive! Worth the dime or waste of time? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. With Ricky and James. Hold on to your butt. The year is 2005, and not even a decade has passed since the abomination that was the movie Batman and Robin. Joel Schumacher's second Batman film as director left a bad taste in the mouths of fans. In steps Christopher Nolan, who at the time was not a household name, although he had started to have success with his 2000 thriller, Memento. That film earned him an Academy Award nomination for Best Writing for a screenplay written directly for the screen. Now he was tasked with resurrecting the Cape Crusader and would go in a much different direction than what we'd ever seen for Batman on the big screen. Welcome everyone to Worth a Dime or Waste of Time. My name is James and joining me is my co-host Ricky. Ricky, good to have you here. Thank you for joining me on this little podcast venture. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I think this is going to be an exciting time. Going to talk some film and just hang out. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. So before we jump into the box office numbers and recap the movie, let's first go over our history with the film. Ricky, what is your history with this film? When did you first see Batman Begins? Oh man, I saw it in 2005 when it came out. Did you see it in theaters? I did actually see it in theaters. And how many times have you seen it since then? Probably three, including the most recent one. What were your initial feelings when you saw it in theaters? When I first saw it, at the time, I really enjoyed it. it. It was fun. The cinematography was great, which it did end up getting an Oscar nomination for. I really enjoyed it when I first watched it. I absolutely, I enjoyed it as well. I did not get a chance to see it in theaters, unfortunately, but I did see it before The Dark Knight came out. I, like you, was very used to Michael Keaton growing up. I was used to even Val Kilmer and George Clooney. Yes. And while now I can reflect and say, yeah, maybe those movies weren't so good, that was Batman for me growing up. And even Adam West's Batman was Batman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I used to watch that at my grandparents' house all the time. They always had old stuff on, and that was pretty great. I do really enjoy uh, Val Kilmer's Batman and uh, Batman Forever. That was one of yeah. my favorites, favorites growing up. Yeah, I had a much different perception of Batman and what Batman would be on screen. So to see Christopher Nolan do what he did with The Dark Knight was it was quite the difference, but I really enjoyed it where he took that character. Just seeing Christopher Nolan do what he did, and I don't know, he turned it more dark and gritty, which I liked. I felt was more fitting to Batman instead of like the, you know, with Val Kilmer, it was more light and funny and all that stuff so i felt like the dark and gritty fit batman a little more yeah the great thing about this character is it's up to so many different interpretations we've seen so many different versions of batman throughout the years from adam west and the really campy batman to (laughs) tim burton's batman and being more dark and gritty kind of getting that tone that we eventually got with christopher nolan although not set in such a grounded realistic world and then we got more campy again with Joel Schumacher's two Batman films. So Batman can go in a lot of different directions. Uh, Whichever you prefer, there's a different flavor of Batman for everyone. Let's look at the box office and the box office numbers, keeping in mind that these numbers and rankings are unadjusted for inflation. Batman Begins had a reported budget of $150 million. In its opening weekend, it made $48 million domestically and would go on to gross $205 million domestically over its run in theaters and had a worldwide box office total of $374 million. Looking at where it ranks for Batman movie grosses, it's in the very middle of the pack. It sits at number five all time on the domestic gross list of Batman movies behind The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, the 1989 Batman from Tim Burton. That rounds out the top five with Batman Begins sliding in just behind those. Batman Begins also sits at number five on the worldwide box office list all time for Batman movies. That top five is the same as the domestic grossing list, except The Dark Knight Rises is number one and The Dark Knight is at number two, those two swapping positions. 
Something I was really surprised to see was that Batman Begins was only the number eight highest grossing film for 2005. At the top for that year, you have Star Wars Episode Three, Revenge of the Sith, followed by The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, War of the Worlds, King Kong. And then you have what really surprised me was at number six, Wedding Crashers, and at number seven, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, both of those movies beating out Batman Begins. Wedding Crashers domestically grossed $209 million, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory had $206 million compared to Batman Begins with $205 million. Man, it's really hard to believe that all those came out in 2005. Kind of an that, exciting year at the box that was, office. Yeah, that is. was a solid year right there. I mean, I love Wedding Crashers. That's one of my all-time favorite comedies. Yeah, and you don't really see too many studio comedies making the top ten list anymore at the end of the year for grosses. I feel like now if Batman Begins or really any Batman movie were to come out, you would expect it to be in the top three, the top four, certainly in the top five. But for oh. Batman Begins to go in at number eight for that year, it just kind of shows the bad taste in the mouth that Batman left for fans after the Joel Schumacher movies. Yeah, I think there was a lot of hesitation going into seeing a new Batman. Even though the trailer sold everybody and it looked good, they were still kind of like, uh, but did you see the last one? We talked about our history with the movie as well as budget versus box office. Now let's actually talk about the movie itself. Starting out, we see Bruce Wayne is imprisoned in Bhutan, a South Asian country. After getting thrown into solitary confinement, he meets Henry Ducard, who offers him the chance to train and join the League of Shadows, headed by Raz al Ghul. Are you so desperate to fight criminals that you lock yourself in to take them on one at a time? Actually, there were uh, several. I counted six, Mr. Wayne. One important thing for me was the intro with the bats. That was that was phenomenal. Like, oh, you know, like before that. we even saw, yeah, yeah, before we saw the prison or anything like that, when the bats came, I just thought that was that was so nice. That was such a nice touch to the thing. With the prison thing, though, it felt weird to me starting out with Batman or Bruce Wayne in prison in a different country. It kind of got me started off on a weird note. Yeah, it's kind of a different tone. It's set right away. We haven't seen Bruce Wayne as this kind of lost soul looking for purpose before. He's kind of always been already starting out as Batman. That's what we've seen in all the different iterations. What we've seen as Michael Keaton as Batman, he was already Batman. The first scene opens up with him beating up two muggers. And with Ben Affleck, he's already Batman. He's an old Batman. So we had already seen different iterations of Batman. But for every other iteration, we had already seen Batman as an established character. We hadn't seen Bruce Wayne going through those steps, which is something that I really liked for this, seeing his training and seeing what he had to go through to become batman yeah yeah we've never got like an origin with him we've seen the death of thomas and martha wayne countless times we've seen it in just about every iteration there'd be flashbacks to it there'd be mentions of it but we had never seen the training portion how he became batman which is something that i really liked about this movie absolutely ducard explains that the league serves as an opposing force to the criminal underworld bruce is released from prison and starts his trek to the top of a mountain where the league of shadows is located before going up the mountain he picks a blue flower at the instruction of Ducard, which will become important later. After a long, trying journey up the mountain, he arrives at the base of the League of Shadows. Bruce states he seeks the means to fight injustice. Training begins immediately without allowing Bruce to rest. He is knocked out, and then we visit a flashback to a young Bruce that has fallen into a well and injured himself. I was just going to note that I, I really love the League of Shadows, and I didn't expect to see them in this film when I was first watching it, so it was it was pretty awesome. It's not featured too heavily in the other iterations we've seen in, whether it be movies or TV shows, maybe with the exception of Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, yeah, the Animated, I think, had some of that in there. 
Another thing that I have to bring up, though, is there's the pronunciation of Ra's al Ghul. Now, in the animated series, Batman the Animated Series in the 90s, as well as the Arkham video games, they pronounce it Raish al Ghul. Raish al Ghul. Or Ra- I've heard it Raj al Ghul, and then Ra's al Ghul. But in this movie, it's Ra's al Ghul. It is Ra's, yeah, in this one. And even on, like, Arrow on CW, you hear even even different characters call him something different each time, almost. I also want to say real quick that, like, with the flower, it was some nice foreshadowing. And in this film, we get a lot of those little tidbits that are going to feature later if you really pay attention. While in the well, he is swarmed by bats, leading to a fear of the creature. After being rescued from the well, we later see that he and his mother and father are headed into the city for a night at the opera. While at the opera, Bruce becomes frightened by bat-like creatures in the production and asks to leave. I also have to add that I don't know a lot about the opera, but this opera looks weird as hell. I've never been to an (laughs) opera before, but this opera looks really strange. Um, it's on this one um, in a movie, I never want to go to the opera in my life. There's a lot of different operas. This was on the weird side, but they do have this. There's more theatrical ones like weird like this, but then there's more tame ones that more people would enjoy probably. This is kind of an interesting one. I don't even know what it is, if it was made up for this film or if it's actually a real opera, to be honest with you. I think it has to be made up just to introduce the bat-like creatures and the imagery think... that would frighten the young Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah, that was an interesting take to get Bruce to want to leave, you know, and kind of putting the death of his parents on him. I was going to mention also... When Bruce and his parents are taking the train to the opera, he points to Wayne Tower and he asks his dad, who is a doctor, if his dad works there, which kind of seems strange to me. Does that look like a hospital to you? He's a doctor. You know, I honestly never caught that. I didn't, but yeah, no, that's... He seems that's... a little too old to not realize that his dad is a doctor and work at a hospital. I would think so, yeah, yeah. He was a smart kid. He's He's always been very intuitive about things. And I think at this point that Thomas had said to Bruce, like, why do we fall so we can get back up? Took quite a fall, didn't we, Master Bruce? Why do we fall, Bruce? So we can learn to pick ourselves up. I just thought that was a nice little sentiment. We'll see that. That's another one that we see replay in the film, you know, kind of leading to his journey to becoming who he is. After walking out of the performance, the Wayne family is confronted by a mugger, Joe Chill. Thomas and Martha Wayne are shot and murdered, and Bruce is left alone in the alley after Chill runs off. After the funeral for his parents, we are introduced to his butler, Alfred Pennyworth, who will now be looking after Bruce and is all he has left. Alfred, man. Alfred stole the show for me. Michael Caine, absolutely perfection. And though I enjoyed the one from Batman vs. Superman, he was great too, but Michael yeah, Jeremy Caine Irons. was. Jeremy Irons, thank you. I was couldn't recall his name for a minute. But Jeremy Irons did a fantastic job, don't get me wrong, but Michael Caine, man. Michael Caine is another in the great line of Alfreds that we've had. He's great emotional support. He has good levity. There's moments of humor that he brings. But yes, his also, comedic timing. Yes, absolutely. We've seen a lot of good Alfreds over the years, but Michael Caine might be the best one. Definitely. Back in present day, Bruce continues his training with Ducard and the League of Shadows. It is during that time we learn that Ducard has also gone through great loss. He tells Bruce that he was once a married man, but ultimately lost her and devoted his life to the League of Shadows. I wasn't always here in the mountains. Once I had a wife, my great love. She was taken from me. Like you, I was forced to learn there are those without decency. I must be fought without hesitation, without pity. 
this was something that I really enjoyed that they touched on. It's just a small character moment. It only takes about a minute or two of character development. But this sets in motion that they are very similar characters, that they both gone through loss, that they both had a difficult time processing that loss, and that they looked to correct that loss to better the world, but that they eventually go in very different directions for wanting to correct the wrongs in the world. So I really liked that character moment between Ducard and Bruce. Yeah, it just shows how we all deal with loss and grief and just everything in life in a different way. It's just our choices that that make us who we are, and that's part of Batman's character, you know? It was a nice touch, and I believe that was during the training montage. Yeah, was that during the training montage? Was during the training montage. I think montage. so. Yeah, yeah. Really, really enjoyed that. That was one of the top scenes for me right there. During another flashback, we see Bruce has come home from college and does not intend to return. He's back to attend a hearing for the man responsible for murdering his parents, Joe Chill. Chill's up for early parole in exchange for information on crime lord Carmine Falcone, who he shared his cell with. After the trial, Bruce intends to murder Chill with a gun hidden in his coat arm. But as he approaches him, a Falcone lackey shoots Chill dead. Bruce is ushered away by his longtime friend, Rachel Dawes, who in this movie is played by Katie Holmes. And The Dark Knight is replaced by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Now, there's a lot of people that prefer Maggie Gyllenhaal's performance in The Dark Knight. I think she does a fantastic job and probably is the better actress between the two. But I think Katie Holmes actually does a pretty good job in this movie. You know, I do like them both. I will agree with I. I think Maggie Gyllenhaal was the better too, and I don't know if it was the writing, if it was the actress or what, but I just, the chemistry, at least at this point in the film, between her and Bruce, it just felt weird. It didn't feel natural or anything like that, for me anyways. Yeah, I thought she did okay. It wasn't the best. I didn't feel it as much as I did with Maggie Gyllenhaal in The Dark Knight, but for the flack that she catches online of not living up to the role and what Maggie Gyllenhaal brought in The Dark Knight, I don't know if it's exactly deserved. I think she did okay for what she was given in this role. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, if anything, I would blame it more on the writing than actually the actress herself. I think she did good with what she had, you know. While talking about Gotham and how Falcone has made the city his own with crime and drugs, Bruce confesses to Rachel that he was set to kill Joe Chill and shows her the gun. She gets upset with him and hits him, telling him that his father would be ashamed of him. After throwing away the gun, he visits Carmine Falcone to tell him that he doesn't fear him like everyone else in Gotham does. Falcone threatens him, as well as Rachel and Alfred. Broken and feeling alone, Bruce runs away. We see that he has traveled from country to country, learning how criminals operate and plan heists. Now, I really like this moment that he goes and confronts Carmine Falcone, and we get to see that Carmine Falcone threatens not only him, but Rachel and Alfred. I think it sets in his mind that if he is to do anything about the crime in Gotham, that he has to protect the ones that he loves, because if he goes after them, those that he loves could be in danger with him doing that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think it sets a huge tone for the film. First, having the Falcone family in there was a great touch. They're a big thing in the comics and stuff. Not only that, it just shows Bruce's backbone. It shows what he stands for. And it also teaches him that later you'll see that he realizes he has to keep his identity secret to protect the ones that he loves, you know, and it just kind of plays into the character. And that's the reason why. I was going to mention it later, but just seeing the difference in Gotham when we first started, how nice and pristine it looks to how it's fallen and has such crime and it's just so dirty now and run yeah, down, with, you know. With and, young Bruce Wayne, like 9, 10-year-old Bruce Wayne, as opposed to what it is even just 14 years later when he's back for the trial for Joe Chill, it does look extremely run down. Yeah, Things yeah. Have gone south. M- much different, and part of it shows with the Falcone family, like, running it into the ground, and, and that just sets the feel for it, too. In present day, we see Bruce nearing the end of his training. The blue flower he picked and brought to the League of Shadows is made into a hallucinogen that brings out his fears, and he must overcome to best the final ninja task. 
However, to become an official member of the League of Shadows, Bruce is told that he must demonstrate his commitment to justice. A thief is being held by the League and is to be sentenced to death. Ra's al Ghul demands that Bruce be the one to carry out the sentence. Bruce states that he will not become an executioner and seeks true justice, not vengeance. I'm no executioner. Your compassion is a weakness your enemies will not share. That's why it's so important. Ra's al Ghul reveals that he wants Bruce to lead the League of Shadows into Gotham to destroy the city. It is revealed that the League has played a part in past empires falling throughout history when injustice runs rampant. Bruce defies the League and starts a fire that destroys the building. He battles Ra's al Ghul, who ends up dying. In an explosion, Bruce and an unconscious Ducard are thrown out of the building and almost fall over the side of the mountain. Bruce is able to save himself as well as Ducard, who he leaves in the care of one of the local village folk. Man, that, that scene was... It was pretty phenomenal, and them sliding down the mountain, him catching him, just that strength, that grit to lift him up and save him was, it was, it was a pretty epic moment in the film, I think. And also like touching on him to be the executioner and him standing his ground. I mean, it just, I just love that how they show Batman, Bruce Wayne's character in this film. And I guess it kind of touches back on what I said about it shows how people deal with their stuff in a different way. Where, where Roz and them, obviously, they dealt with it by turning to vengeance rather than actual justice. I wanted to touch on that as well. The progression of Bruce's no kill rule. So we saw that earlier. He wanted to kill Joe Chill, and I thought that it was done really well. The progression of him moving from wanting to get vengeance on Joe Chill to wanting a commitment to justice. After he doesn't get the chance to kill Joe Chill and Rachel scolds him, hits him, tells him that his father would be ashamed of him. I think that's a real wake-up call for him. And he then goes and is a really lost soul trying to find purpose in what would be the correct path for him. He comes close to killing, and then he finally sees what Falcone and others have done to Gotham and decides that that's not going to be for him. And given the chance to do it again, become an executioner, he turns away from that. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's a great way to put it. I don't know. So for me, I know this is going to be controversial me saying this, but I'm not a huge fan of Christian Bale as Batman. He is by far not my favorite compared to most people. But it was that moment I got a good taste in my mouth of him being actually feeling like Bruce Wayne for the first time. For me, Christian Bale, he's not my favorite Batman, not my favorite Bruce Wayne, but I think he does a great job. They're just iconic roles to live up to, and Michael Keaton really set the bar with the theatrical run of Batman movies that we got in the late 80s and the mid-90s. So it's hard to live up to that, but I still think that Christian Bale does a good job. We've been blessed. We've had a lot of great Batman movies we, and a lot of great Batman portrayals. We really have. I mean, that's, that's an honest statement. Yeah, I mean, Michael Keaton... He's hard to live up to. And I mean, Christian Bell did end up doing a fine job, but he's just not like everybody holds him as the gold standard. And for me, it's not. I'm like, no, no, not even. I'm probably in the minority saying that and I'm okay with it. Bruce is now ready to return to Gotham. He has the idea that with his training, he can create a symbol to take on the criminals that have been plaguing his city. I assumed as you're taking on the underworld, this symbol is a persona to protect those you care about from reprisals. You think about Rachel? Actually, sir, I was thinking of myself. Telvin realizes his goal, we are introduced to the head of the Applied Science Division at Wayne Enterprises, Lucius Fox, played by Morgan Freeman. Fox shows Wayne technology that was developed for the military, but ended up being too costly for them to move forward with the items. This technology includes an advanced infantry suit, an armored vehicle, as well as gadgets like a grappler gun. Yeah, buddy. We all love that stuff. I think Morgan Freeman did a fantastic job as Lucius Fox. He made the character fun and lovable and just on Batman's side. He has great comedic moments, and in this movie where a lot of it is very serious, he's a great comic relief when the time calls for it. What's your interest in it, Mr. Wayne? I want to borrow it for uh, Spelunky. 
spelunking. Yeah, you know, cave diving. You're expecting to run into much gunfire in these caves. I was going to ask you, what do you think of this version of Batman with the suit that we get, with the Batmobile that we get, and his gadgets? I did like it. I loved the way they used it with, like, applied sciences and stuff like that and made it kind of more realistic like that. I thought that was a really neat way to do it. There was some more cheesy moments to it, like, what is it? He's throwing out the finger things to make the cape stay out so he can, like, fly, basically. Like, I don't know. Oh. Was kinda, so some of that was kind of weird, but I, I did like this suit. I mean, so far, my favorite, I know, another thing I'm going to get flack for is uh, Ben Affleck. His suit, I, I dug it. It was like this full comic style, and I really liked his suit. I do like the connection to Applied Sciences and Wayne Enterprises developing this technology that he can then come in and use. The Batmobile is inherently a little silly. To make it a little more realistic and say that it was an armored vehicle that was going to be for the military, it was a great way to ground that, which is one of the more outlandish pieces of Batman lore. It did make the Batmobile more realistic, I think, because that's always been a big thing. One of the villains tormenting Gotham is Dr. Jonathan Crane, a.k.a. Scarecrow, who is a psychologist smuggling drugs into the city with the help of Carmine Falcone. Realizing he will need help on his Gotham crusade, Bruce seeks out Jim Gordon, one of the few good cops in the police department. Don't turn around. You're a good cop. One of the few. What do you want? Carmine Falcone brings in shipments of drugs every week. Nobody takes him down. Why? He's paid up with the right people. What will it take to bring him down? Leverage on Judge Faden. And the DA brave enough to prosecute. Rachel Dawes. Two big things to say to this. Well, at least two big things to say to this. One is Scarecrow, one of my all-time favorite Batman villains. And I never thought we'd see him in a film ever. Like, he was on the animated series and stuff, and he's just always been one of my favorites, so I was stoked to see him. That said, I did not feel the love for him from Cillian Murphy playing him it just I don't know I feel like he fell short with that character unfortunately being one of my very favorites but maybe because I set the bar high maybe that was part of it I think that deals with character depth I actually had a note about this as well Scarecrow his depth lacks because he's only motivated by power why we like Ducard slash Ra's al Ghul so much is because his character is more fleshed out that moment that we talked about earlier with his wife passing away and him devoting his life to trying to fight crime and trying to right the wrongs of the world the injustice of the world I think that that was a, a great moment and why that villain is more flushed out than Scarecrow, who's all about power and trying to disrupt Gotham. It really does come down to writing and character depth with this character, unfortunately. And like I said, he was one of my favorites, so it was it was sad to see him fall short. I think this might just be a case of too many cooks in the kitchen. There's just a little too much for the number of characters that we have in the movie. We already have one villain. This is a sidekick villain. This is a secondary villain. Really, there's three villains. We have Ra's al Ghul. We have Carmine Falcone, and then we also have Scarecrow. So there's only so much you can do in a two and a half hour movie to develop characters. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, yeah, especially in an origin film, because you're trying to tell Batman's story at the same time, where if we had it in a different film ahead of this, where you already know all about Batman, you don't have to take time up to do that, and you can put a little more into the multiple villains. One of my other notes was Jim Gordon. I love um, Gary Oldman, man. Gary Oldman, another perfect casting. It's great. This cast oh is Oh, my God. This cast, I mean, he is so great. He is the perfect Jim Gordon. Absolutely loved him throughout the entire trilogy with him. I was going to say, when we first see Bruce Wayne reach out to Jim Gordon in the police station, try and get some dirt on Carmine Falcone and the drugs that are coming into the city, I like how when we see Bruce try and escape from that, 
there's a rooftop chase scene and him jumping from building to building trying to get away from the police and Jim Gordon and he crashes into the fire escape railing. It was kind of a nice touch seeing him kind of grow and in every movie I believe and like in the cartoon and stuff like that in the comics he's always riddled with like bruises and cuts and scars and you know you see how he actually gets them. He's not perfect. He's not this perfect acrobat who's doing all this stuff like he's taking some hits. It would be weird if right off the bat he was really good at it and he just knew everything to do, how to escape without anyone noticing. We see that eventually in the movie. We see in the next encounter he has with Jim Gordon that he disappears without a trace. But Mm -hmm. it was nice to see this, him struggle a little bit and not get away so smoothly. Yeah, it's all that League of Shadows training. He's now ready to show the city the symbol he has created to save it. When a drug shipment comes into the docks of Gotham, Falcone's men are moving it when they start to get attacked from the shadows. We see the masked vigilante take them down one by one until finally he decides for the last bunch he will fight them in hand-to-hand combat. He finally finishes with Carmine Falcone and declares himself Batman. I'm Batman. The police find Falcone and his men at the docks and the commissioner of police orders that the vigilante that did this be brought in for justice. Didn't you mean Batman? I'm Batman. See, for this movie, I don't really have a problem with Christian Bale's voice. It doesn't sound like he just smoked a pack of cigarettes. Yes, it was was not bad in this one compared to the next two. It's the most tame of the trilogy. It does get progressively (laughs) worse as the trilogy goes on. But for this, I didn't have a big problem with his Batman voice. Yeah, yeah. Something I really liked about this scene, I really did like the showcase of Batman's ability to attack from the shadows with his ninja training as well as the fighting ability. We got to see both of those things. We got to start with him attacking from the shadows and then he moved to show that I can beat these guys up in hand-to-hand combat. Either way that I want to come at you, I'm going to be able to take you down. Yeah, yeah, like like you see him jumping in between like the, the, the shipping containers and stuff and you just get brief glimpses. All of a sudden the guy's like, where are you? And he's like, here. And all of a sudden it shows him like right behind him. It's like, whoa. Where are you? Here. I think, was the building of the Batcave right before this? I think so. That is one thing I wanted to touch on because that was one of my favorite scenes in the thing was watching him transform that, build the Batcave. You know, it's such an iconic place. It's the Batcave, you know? And seeing him, I believe at that same moment is when he was like spray painting the suit all black and building the suit, officially building the suit. And I think that was just such a such a fun little montage. Yeah. There's this scene when he is standing on top of the buildings. But one specific moment was when he's standing on the gargoyle and you see his cape blowing in the wind with the moon yeah. behind him. And that's like such a classic Batman scene from like the comics. Those shots, there's a couple of shots of him standing like gargoyle shots of him in the cities with the crane shots. And I thought that those were great. It looked like they were pulled right from the comics so those were fantastically done rachel now an assistant district attorney for gotham and bruce run into each other while out on the town rachel still sees bruce as a rich playboy while bruce explains there's more to him than that lifestyle rachel all of all this it's it's not me it's inside i am i am more Batman tracks down a shipment of drugs that Falcone's men had been moving, but is met by the Scarecrow and given a dose of his fear gas, which causes him to hallucinate. After escaping, he contacts Alfred to rescue him. Bruce wakes up two days later on his birthday to discover that Alfred had contacted Lucius, who was able to create an antidote. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I called Mr. Fox when your condition worsened after the first day. I analyzed your blood, isolating the receptor compounds and the protein-based catalyst. No, I man, I understand any of that. Not at all. I just wanted you to know how hard it was. Love that scene. There was 
that was my favorite scarecrow scene it was visually stunning like the way they did stuff and how it changed what he was saying and it showed us what he was saying and i felt like scarecrow finally you know i liked being able to see what bruce was hallucinating too i think that was really well done also yeah and i think one of the best parts about batman is he goes into stuff he doesn't always win you know he gets his butt handed to him time after time and that's how he adjusts his strategies he sees what they got okay now i can adjust now i'm gonna beat you this time yeah because what we're gonna see coming up a little bit later is he's going to take on the scarecrow again and he is ready for it this next time he knows that he's going to try and hit him with fear gas so he's absolutely he's ready for it and he's able to counter that yeah Rachel then encounters Dr. Crane and is hit with his fear gas. Batman arrives and takes out Scarecrow and his thugs to save Rachel, but finds out that Crane and his men have been dumping the hallucinogen chemical in Gotham's water supply. He learns that Scarecrow has been working for Ra's al Ghul, but states that is impossible, as Ra's al Ghul is dead. Batman escapes the police who have surrounded the complex and rushes back to Wayne Manor to get Rachel the antidote. Here's where I have to pause. The way that he escapes that complex by calling the bats with... The signal on his boot was super corny to me. Probably the one of the corniest moves in this film. In a movie that's so grounded, it felt really fake. Yeah, like, I mean, I get what they were trying to do there. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. It was definitely an incredibly corny moment, and it just didn't... It's another one that didn't feel right in a Batman movie. Continuing with the corniness, after he gets out by using the bats to swarm that building, he then gets in the Batmobile and is driving on the roofs. Oh, that's the one I want to touch on. That was like the entire worst scene of the thing. It was so beyond ridiculous. I get that the Batmobile was made to jump stuff and like rivers and stuff, but come on. It was too much. It was like that whole sequence of going from escaping with the bats to escaping with the Batmobile and being on the roofs of Gotham just did. It didn't do it for me. It took me out of the moment in a movie that's so grounded. This felt completely ridiculous. What street is he taking? He's not on a street. He's flying on rooftops. I mean, right before that, there was like a great scene between Batman and Gordon, which which was really nice to see, you know, just them on the same side and everything. And then, of course, we get the we get the bat voice again. But it wasn't like you said, it wasn't bad. But uh, I think I forgot about the bats being called because right after that, we went into the Batmobile scene and it was just so ridiculous that I couldn't get past it. After arriving at Wayne Manor, he attends to his 30th birthday party, but learns that Henry Ducard and members of the League of Shadow have crashed his party. Bruce also discovers that Ducard is the real Ra's al Ghul. Wanting to get his guests away from the danger, he creates a scene to drive them away. He then fights Ra's and the League, who set his house on fire. Bruce and Alfred escape to the Batcave. Man, I, w- I wish we could get like some feedback on this stuff, because I want to know, did anybody honestly not see Ducard actually being Ra's the whole time? The first time that I watched this movie, I don't think it occurred to me right away that he was going to be Ra's al Ghul. Okay, I can see most people not seeing that the first time simply because a lot of people don't know that character. I didn't see Ducard becoming Ra's al Ghul because what I was familiar with was the Ra's al Ghul that we had seen in Batman the Animated Series. I thought maybe we would see the Ra's al Ghul in this movie who had perished in the fire at the League of Shadows building. I thought we might see him come back because of what I'm familiar with with Ra's al Ghul is he comes back to life time and time again. With the, the with, Lazarus Pit, yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of threw me off a little bit. I thought maybe we would see Ken Watanabe, who played Ra's al Ghul, or the decoy Ra's al Ghul. I thought that's where we might be able to get him to come back with Henry Ducard. He's a great actor. I like Ken Watanabe. He is. He didn't have a lot to do in this movie. He didn't, unfortunately. I was disappointed there was no Lazarus Pit, but at the same time, I think they did it because they were trying to be more, like, real Yeah, it's a more realistic approach. It's a more grounded approach. So if you throw the pit in there, then it does take the realism out of it. Absolutely. And I I mean, it was disappointing, but I, I understood because of the angle they were going with it. 
Batman must now race to stop Ra's al Ghul's plan to use the stolen microwave emitter to vaporize the water supply and the chemical that has been put into it by Crane. A train carrying the weapon is headed through Gotham and vaporizing the water as it goes through, making citizens hallucinate and attack each other. Ra's goal is to reach Wayne Tower, where the city's central water system is located, causing a chain reaction to the entire city supply. Bruce indirectly reveals his identity to Rachel after saving her from Scarecrow one last time before chasing down Roz. Batman catches the train and has a final fight with Roz. Gordon has been given the Batmobile and hurries ahead to destroy the train tracks before the weapon can reach Wayne Tower. Batman beats Roz. He will not kill him, but leaves him in the train to die, which explodes after crashing off the destroyed train tracks. I think that was a beautiful moment. How he came to realization that even being the hero, like, I don't have to save you. Like, I'm not going to kill you. Is that part of the kill rule? Not saving someone? It's kind of gray area. I enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of fitting in the end. Like, he's coming to this realization that I don't have to save everybody, but I'm still not going to kill you. It's on you to save yourself. It is this weird gray area. I I don't know how to feel about that. It almost kind of feels like he killed him. It's kind of... (laughs) It's not direct. He didn't uh, stab him in the heart or shoot a gun at him. But but Roz, I'm okay. I was going to say Roz is the one who started the train. So it was more like suicide. But then I forgot that Batman gave the Batmobile to Gordon, which is going to be my last complaint. I'm pretty sure. But Gordon just easily winging the Batmobile was incredibly ridiculous. He does have a little bit of issue, though, destroying the train tracks. He's not using the Batmobile weapon system to great accuracy at the beginning of that. So he does have a little bit of struggle, but he did navigate the streets of Gotham pretty well for never having driven the Batmobile before. And I mean, all the switches, all the buttons, everything in there, he just, he seemed to navigate it way too well, which I get. You gotta progress the story, but it just, I don't know. But yeah, so I guess I'm still gonna, I'm gonna give it to Batman. The gray area is gonna say it's okay for me (laughs) all right days later we see bruce and rachel share a kiss but she tells him that as long as he is batman they cannot be together and in the final scene we see batman meet gordon where he is now a lieutenant and reveals to him a new criminal troubling gotham the joker take this guy arm robbery double homicide got a taste for the theatrical like you leaves a calling card man moving on up to commish here pretty soon i did enjoy that bruce and rachel scene that was kind of a nice touching scene and i totally get where she was coming from so that was i think that was really well done the hero not getting the girl yeah i think we're so used to that we're so conditioned to that of course he's going to beat the bad guy and of course he's going to end up with the love interest but in this movie that's not the case now they do it still in other movies but like back in 2005 when it came out like that was like whoa what he's not going to get the girl in this yeah that was nice and then uh the Joker reveal at the end was super sweet. I think that was great. A great addition that got everyone excited for the trilogy to come for the for the franchise building. It did. It got me super stoked for the next one. I know everybody else, but it also put me on edge because trying to follow up Jack Nicholson, fantastic job back in the 80s. with. Yeah, well, just like we were talking before, how we've been so fortunate to have a lot of great interpretations of Alfred. We've also had a lot of great interpretations of the Joker all the way back from Cesar Romero in the Adam West Batman to Jack Nicholson to Heath Ledger. We've had a lot of great Jokers just like we've had a lot of great Alfreds. Yeah, we really have been fortunate with that because, I mean, I just got to say Heath, man. He did the impossible to everybody. You know, everybody was dogging on him. He made them just eat their own words. He came out and absolutely 
ridiculously phenomenal. Yeah, it was a great follow-up. There's countless examples of the sequel not living up to the first movie in a trilogy or a series of movies, but the next one absolutely lived up to the hype and what Batman Begins had set up for it. Yeah. Next up, let's talk about our favorite scene. For me personally, it's got to be the scene at the docks where we first see full costume Batman using both his skills to take out the bad guys as well as his ability to attack from the shadows. He fights multiple thugs at the same time in hand-to-hand combat. He's moving all over the place, taking people out. And then the reveal at the end where he grabs Carmine Falcone and says, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. It absolutely did it for me. I think I'm going to play right off of you and take a couple minutes back. And it was that montage when he's building the Batcave and the Batsuit and all that becoming Batman. So you, you take mine that moment and it goes right into your moment. It's really the big moments that now he's Batman. He's transitioned, fully transitioned to Batman. And I think, yeah, for me, that was that was it. During that montage, too, it's a great score by Hans Zimmer. The score doesn't get talked about enough, but Hans Zimmer does an absolutely fantastic job with the soundtrack, with the score of this movie. I will say I'm terrible with movies when it comes to scores. That's not my forte. I do know Hans Zimmer and all that. But yeah, he he did a great job. He really, really did. I do want to give an honorable mention to my other moment of when uh, he was standing on the gargoyle with the the cape blowing in the wind. I just, I can't get over that. That is a really great shot. Now let's talk about who stood out in the movie. Probably an obvious choice, but I'm going to go with Christian Bale. He really does well in this movie. In Batman movies, it's easy to be outshined by your villains. Batman has a great rogues gallery of villains, and they're all very energetic and can bring a lot to the screen. For me, in this movie, it was Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne and as Batman. We get to see the transition going from a broken man who is truly lost, trying to find purpose in the world, to one who becomes a city's savior and has a good grasp on what he wants to do, what he wants to accomplish, the person he wants to be. You're right. It, sometimes the hero does outshine, but it, I mean, the villain outshines the hero, but he didn't in this one. For me, who actually outshined the hero was uh, Michael Caine and Gary Oldman, man. Alfred Pennyworth and uh, Jim Gordon just for me, they were huge standouts. They were so perfectly casted, and they just always stick in my mind all their moments, and just they just stole the show for me. And I think part of it is that supporting characters really make or break the movie and the storyline, and these two just they hit it on the head, man. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit, but this is a phenomenal cast. There's really not a bad casting in this movie. Like we said, Katie Holmes, eventually Maggie Gyllenhaal took over for her, and a lot of people say that that was an improvement. Maybe her performance wasn't as great in Batman Begins. But yeah, I really feel like the casting all around, when you look at every single person in this movie, there's not one that feels out of place to me or really a weakness for this movie. From the villains to the heroes to the supporting characters, I think all around the casting was really well done. I would almost agree with that. I think the only one, like I said before, was Cillian Murphy as Scarecrow. He just didn't do it for me. I think it might be due more to the writing of the character and not having a ton to do. Yeah, and and it could be that. Yeah, I don't know. Everybody else, phenomenal, though. Now it's time to talk about if it's worth the dime or a wasted time. Ricky, I'm going to go to you on this one. My vote would be worth the dime. Yeah, It's a comic book movie, and in my opinion, they're all worth watching at least once. The movie wasn't great for me. It was definitely worth a watch through. I'd personally put Batman Begins and the rest of the trilogy in the lower tier rankings of Batman films, right above Batman and Robin. Maybe right below it. I'm still torn with Arnold saying, chill out. And that almost tops the entire film, you know, and the bat nipples. Come on. Classic. But I will say it's an OK origin film of one of the greatest characters starring an OK Batman Bruce Wayne for me. But in the end, definitely worth a dime to check it out at least once. 
I think for me, it's absolutely worth the dime. I'm a lot more high on this movie than you are. I think this movie is fantastic. Christopher Nolan does a really good job of reintroducing the character and what we had come to expect for a Batman movie. This movie, it's one of my favorites. The Dark Knight will probably always be my favorite Batman movie. And a lot of people think that it is the best Batman movie that we've ever got. If The Dark Knight is an A+, then Batman Begins has to be an A for me. Batman Begins is a phenomenal film for the Cape Crusader. It's a great film overall, not just a superhero movie. I think it's a great film overall. Talking about a character that's gone through a traumatic event and, and where he can take that and what he can become on the other side of that. And for superhero origin stories, this is up there for me with likes of Iron Man, like a Deadpool, Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it's a great origin story, a great superhero movie, and just a great film overall. Now, now we can't be talking DC and you bring up all that Marvel stuff. That's just not okay, Well, superhero right? movies. <laughs> I know, I'm just messing. They yeah, all get compared to one another. See, I, I do think that Dark Knight did step it up. Still not my favorite. I still don't think it's the best Batman like everybody else, but everybody's got different opinions, and I don't really judge people for that, you know? Nothing's going to please everybody. I'm sure some people with our different opinions will have their torches and their pitchforks ready to come at us. Right. But- mostly at me but again we're just having fun with this just talking some movie but we both recommend this movie watching it at least once for me i recommend watching this multiple times i love this movie absolutely would recommend gonna add if you're gonna watch this you gotta watch the whole trilogy it is a great trilogy yeah we're not gonna talk about that right now because we might touch on that later but if you're gonna watch this you have to watch the trilogy Thank you guys so much for joining us on Worth the Dime or Wasted Time. Ricky, really enjoyed doing this with you. It was a lot of fun. I can't wait to do this. We'll see how often we can do it. We want to try and do it bi-weekly, I know. Maybe eventually we can get to a weekly schedule. It's really hard to commit to a time because I know that we're both incredibly busy, but it's also a lot of fun, so we'll see how often we can do this. Had a great time, man. All right, join us next time for Worth the Dime or Wasted Time. Wasted Time.